So as Paul said earlier, we're on the, um, the final part three of three on, a, uh, on the book of Zechariah, chapter eight, because next week the carol services, so it's all very different next week, and of course we're not here um, until two weeks' time again because of the carol service next week. So Zechariah, chapter eight, as you can see from the screen, it's the end of the chapter now, verses 18 to 23. The words will come up on the screen. In a second, if you haven't got them in front of you, uh, if you haven't got your Bible, you may like to turn to your Bible. And I've called this one uh, Fasting and Feasting. So please really enjoy your mint and in your imagination be thinking of it as some really succulent feast uh, as we sort of go through this passage uh, today. So we've had th- uh, two so far. So a couple of weeks ago, I we'll speak on the first bit of chapter 8, uh, called it Heads Up as in the passage, the prophet Zechariah, and we'll come back to the book and the setting of it, the context uh, in a second, but the prophet Zechariah prophesying to the Jews that good things are coming to them, which is encouraging, isn't it? Because God's a good God, he's a faithful God. We even hear that, and it's like a heads-up prophecy, good stuff is coming. And then last week, uh, as the prophecy sort of continues, uh, Paul with an excellent sermon saying, good stuff's coming, but you've got to be strong to the people of God. And that was a moving sermon, wasn't it? A powerful, I'm sure. Be strong. And that's what we want to be, isn't it? And this is towards the end of the passage now. And uh, so called fasting and feasting, or fasting to feasting, apologies. And uh, we'll see why as we look at the passage. But I just want to take a step back again, because in particular, on the passage we're going to look at, it's really helpful just to understand some of the context of the book of Zechariah. So I have my lovely little Bible timeline again, which I've used on a, a number of occasions. So Zechariah is an Old Testament book. The Bible's split in two sort of halves, you might say, not equal halves, but uh, the Old Testament, all written before Jesus. Jesus appears on the scene as a man, birth, walks around doing amazing miracles, dies, rises again, and the New Testament's written about him and letters to churches. So Zechariah's before Jesus and prophesying about Jesus, making some predictions about this Messiah to come. And Zechariah is also one of the later Old Testament books, uh, and you have to understand that it's written to Jews after uh, they have been exiled, as it's called, and they've actually been returning from exile. So in 587 BC, there was the fall of Jerusalem. So this is the Babylonians came and ransacked the city of Jerusalem, which is the Uh, the capital city of the nation of the Jews. It's where their temple was. It's where the whole worship system was. Uh, And most of your sort of well-known Bible stories of Abraham, Moses, King David, Solomon, stuff, that's all before. That's all the building of the Jewish nation to have Jerusalem and the nation as a whole and armies and fights with other nations, stuff like that. And because they didn't do very well in living for God, they faced the judgment of God and Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians destroyed Jerusalem and the nation of Israel and they got scattered all around the nations. They went into exile. And then uh, years later, and this passage we're looking at is written in 518 BC, commentators reckon, the Jews start coming back again to rebuild their city and to rebuild their temple. So that's what's going on. And it's not going particularly well. Even the passages we look at, they're sometimes called a remnant, just sort of the left-behind few. Uh, it's a real struggle, and they're feeling real pressures from the nations around them. It is not the glory days of Israel. That's a remnant, and they're finding it hard, but they have come back at exile, and they are beginning a rebuilding process. So that's the context. That's what's going on. 
So let's look at the passage now, say towards the end of chapter 8. So they've asked Zechariah a question, which we'll look at, and he begins prophesying to him. The Jews have been asking him a question, and he says, The word of the Lord Almighty came to me. This is what the Lord Almighty says. The fast of the fourth, fifth, seventh, and tenth months will become joyful and glad occasions and happy festivals for Judah. Therefore, love, truth, and peace. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Many peoples and inhabitants of many cities will yet come. You can hear the rebuilding thing going on. And inhabitants of one city will go to another and say, let us go at once to entreat the Lord and seek the Lord Almighty. I myself am going. And many peoples and powerful nations will come to Jerusalem to seek the Lord Almighty and to entreat him. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In those days, ten people from all languages and nations will take firm hold of one Jew by the hem of his robe and say, let us go with you, because we have heard that God is with you. So that's the passage. It's the end of chapter 8. If you've been around the past two weeks, you'll have been following some of this. Now, again, the immediate context of this is a question that's happened at the start of chapter 7. Chapter 7, 8 and Zechariah are sort of all part of the same episode in the life of Zechariah and a conversation that he's had with some Jews that have come to him. So it's well worth reading this little bit at the start of chapter 7. So the people of Bethel had sent uh, Shereza and Regan Melik, not a popular name these days, uh, together with their men to entreat the Lord by asking the priests of the house of the Lord Almighty and the prophets, should I mourn and fast in the fifth month as I have done so for so many years? Then the word of the Lord came to me, this is Zechariah, ask all the people of the land and the priests, when you fasted, fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh month, seven months, excuse me, for the past 70 years, was it really for me that you fasted? And when you were eating and drinking, were you not just feasting for yourselves? So again, remember the context. They're coming back from exile. They're rebuilding uh, the city of Jerusalem, in particular the temple. It's not finished yet. It's hard work. And the whole sense of Jewish life and national identity is not really in place until they've got a temple that they're able to worship at. Um, that's how it works then, with the sacrifices and, uh, and all the rest of it that Moses had, to Moses had told them to do. So they've come to Zechariah and they're asking him about, uh, shall we continue fasting as we have been doing for 70 years? Now, if you did your maths very quickly from 587 BC on that timeline to 518 BC, it's coming up for this 70-year period, which was prophesied by another prophet, Jeremiah, about how long the captivity would it last for. The fasts so they're referring to are the fast that they've put in place since they've been in exile, since they've been mourning. So they had a whole worship system, if like, of um, enjoying God and worshipping God when Jerusalem was at its uh, is a city there and a temple. It had all been destroyed. And uh, since then, though they've been scattered in exile, the Jewish people had set up various mournings and fastings to come back because what they want to see is their nation restored. So they're basically saying, oh God, it's all gone wrong. Uh, we're in mourning for our city, for our temple. Will you restore it? Will you set us back up again as a nation? We can't hold our heads up uh, because of all our sin and all that God has done to us. And it's beginning to come to an end. They're beginning to put the temple in place and to be building it. So these guys are basically come and getting information. Do we have to continue these fasts, this mourning period, and they've said just in the fifth month, 
Nishi, and Zechariah immediately extends it to one of the others, the fifth and the seventh months, which I can't say properly, uh, to say, oh, do we still have to do that? Because it feels like we're beginning to get somewhere. It feels like we're beginning to see the temple being restored. It feels like we're beginning to get back to some of those days that we were looking for, that we lost 70 years ago. So they're kind of asking, is the exile period over? Is our nation back? Are we back on that level playing field with God again? We recognise that we used to have something with God. We used to be a great nation. We remember the days of David and Goliath and our history and Solomon and everything was made of gold. And we know it's all gone. It all went horribly wrong. We got punished for our sin um, and we got scattered. And we're become, is it over? Is it over for us now? So it wasn't just about sort of fasting as such. It was uh, all that that represented, all that was going on. So that's all in there, the hearts. That's what's behind this question. Now, we didn't cover um, chapter 7 or such. Zechariah basically starts off by kind of telling him off. We get the first bit of this, saying, look, guys, even when you were fasting beforehand, and actually, to be honest, even when you were feasting, you were basically still doing it for yourselves and not for God. And he prophesies through how they've got to get the hearts right. It's not external, it's heart. And chapter 7 has a bit of a go at them, saying, look, in the past they still weren't getting it right, were they? Even though they had the temple, uh, they were still you know, not living for God, and that's why the punishment came. We've got to get our hearts right. And we've seen that coming through in chapter 8, that God's uh, prophesied that his attitude towards them is now for a blessing. It's changed. His favour on them, and he prophesies many good things and blessing on them, as we saw in the passage we just read, but keeps talking about how you've got to therefore start responding to live right for it. So let's now go back to the start of the passage we're looking at, chapter 8. I hope you followed all of that. So this is the question that Zechariah get, goes slightly off on a tangent on, and he comes right back to. The word of the Lord Almighty came to me. This is what the Lord Almighty says. The fasts. He's going back to the question of the fasting. The fasts are the fourth, fifth, seventh, and tenth months. So there's a whole range of them now, actually. He hasn't just tackled the question of the fifth one. He's saying that all these fasts, they will become joyful and glad occasions and happy festivals for Judah. There's a total transformation coming round. They're beginning to ask, okay, are we nearly at the end? Are we getting there? Are we getting back to how we were, our old nation that we want to see restored and stuff? And the message comes, God says it's total change. These fasts are going to become festivals, they're going to become feasting. The Jewish people had a whole annual calendar of feasts and festivals to celebrate all that God had done in his life. When the nation is destroyed, all of that had gone. Everything has gone. The whole calendar of celebrating what God done was lost. All they had left was the mourning and the fasting, if you like. It was a bit of a miserable existence. And this word here must have come, it's just a huge thing, saying, do you know what, I'm coming, says God, so that all the fasting's gone, all the mourning's gone, you're just left with joyful, glad, happy festivals. This would have been an enormous, even shock and encouragement to these guys. It's a huge prophecy captured in this little bit here. If you get something in context, it's all changing, guys. Everything's different. Don't worry about the fasting in the morning. God's bringing days when it's just joy, joy, gladness, happy, feasting and festivals. It's really quite an amazing thing for them, isn't it? And of course, it's going to go on and talk about some of the results of the, uh, the blessing and growth of the nation. 
But I want to stand this for a bit because this passage here and the question is actually amazingly similar to a question Jesus himself got asked in the New Testament. And it brings it right, if you like, up to date and into our lives because it puts us in the very same situation, you might say, as some of these Jews were in many ways. So this is a passage from uh, Matthew. And uh, this is a story about Jesus. So John's disciple, that's John the Baptist, John's disciples came and asked him, him is Jesus, how is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, then they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the new wine will burst, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. That's Matthew chapter 9, you can see verse 14, 17. So there's a question about fasting. The way Jesus' life is being lived out before John the Baptist followers and the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, is different to how they thought religious, godly life is supposed to be lived out. There's no fasting going on, which was part of the Jewish practice. And they say, why is it you guys are not fasting? And in Jesus' answer, he must have had... Zechariah 8, this passage we looked at, in his background. And in effect, he seems to be saying, I'm the fulfilment of the prophecy we've just been reading. He says to them, how can people fast when I'm here? I'm the bridegroom. And Jews had enormous parties. The bridegroom pays for the feast. They went on for like days. It was open house for everybody, like a week. It just When the wedding's on, the bridegroom goes, it's party time. Anyone in the village, town, community can come and it's all laid on by the bridegroom. Whilst he's there, it's party time. You don't fast at a wedding. You feast. And Jesus said, how can, you, how can they fast at the moment? I'm here. It's party time. I'm the bridegroom. All the fasting with me around is turned to feasting. It's all in me, the fulfilment of this prophecy, the joy, the gladness, the happiness. I'm the one bringing it. This is what's going on. This is what Jesus does for us, isn't it? Yet there's tension as well. We see today as Christians, we, need, we live in that tension now. It says the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, meaning his disciples, in some ways meaning us, then they will fast. There's a prophecy about his crucifixion. He said, there is a time I'm going to be pulled away from them. I'm here now. He was literally there. They're feasting. He's turning water into wine. He's healing the sick. He's raising the dead. He's feeding the 5,000 with a pat lunch. He's doing amazing things. It's not a fasting moment. But that was coming. It wasn't all done and dusted just yet. He was heading to the cross where he was going to be beaten, punished, for things he hadn't done, spat upon, rejected even by his disciples and crucified a horrible, agonising death. He was going to be torn from them. Even something of the, with this par- too many parables he puts here, um, almost the tearing that seems to be, forming. there's going to be a sense of Jesus is going to be torn away from his disciples and they would be fasting. Now, of course, he died that horrible death and three days later he's risen again And there is feasting. And Christianity lives in that tension. 
of we live in both the light of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus' death for us because the world's not right, he had to die for our sin. He came to put things right, but he has put things right. He's the first fruits of a massive wedding party. All the feasts and festivals in the Old Testament are ultimately pointing towards a day when there will be a heavenly festival feast or marriage ceremony. It's often used in this language, the bridegroom. Jesus is still the bridegroom. And one day there will be a feast and a party to end all feasts and parties. And there really will be no more fasting and mourning after that. Jesus has risen from the dead and he is the first fruits of that, the Bible says. It's all done and dusted. It's happened. And we could have a hallelujah for that, couldn't we? It's amazing what he's done. And yet it's not quite fulfilled in, in total. It's not uh, co- or consummated. We're waiting for him to return again. And we now live in this tension of there's fasting and feasting going on. And that pro- what Zechariah is prophesying to the Jews asked the question he's saying, it's, it's all coming to an end. God is doing a totally new thing. And Jesus was the fulfillment of that. And he's done it for us. So the disciples, obviously Christians, do fast, and we should fast, but we also feast. We live in the light of the resurrection. We don't fast as those with no hope. We don't fast as those, uh, you know, not having a clue why we're doing it. I hope it's like because things aren't quite as they should be, but we know one day they will be, and there will be that fast and er- that feast. And so that uh, Jesus, the bridegroom, and the wedding feast of him and us as his church, and everything will be put right. So that's the, what's gone on in that passage, an amazing thing. And Jesus must, I think, have had Zechariah 8 in mind when he said that, because although some of the language is different, it ties in so well in some of the questions. And the stuff he says, he's essentially saying it's a whole new thing. This is not Old Testament uh, Judaism fasting, um, sort of revamped a bit. No, it's new. It's not some old cloth, it's a new garment. It's not old wineskins, there's a new wine coming. That's what he was bringing the new covenant of the Spirit and all the rest of it. So this, going back to the prophecy in Zechariah, it goes on, and there's two now sort of very similar uh, but slight distinctive uh, promises that Zechariah makes to this remnant of people who are looking to rebuild the city of Jerusalem and the temple in particular. This is what the Lord Almighty says, many peoples and inhabitants of many cities will yet come. And the inhabitants of one city will go to another, say, let us go at once to entreat the Lord and seek the Lord Almighty. I myself am going. And many peoples and powerful nations will come to Jerusalem to seek the Lord Almighty and to entreat him. They'd been fasting and mourning because uh, they'd been scattered amongst enemy nations and they'd come back and were starting to rebuild their city uh, but still enemy nations all around them. And they're, they're very small. They're really struggling. And practically in the situation, it's not going well in many ways, the work. They keep downing tools because it's too hard for them because the pressures. Uh, they were being persecuted about, you know, don't, don't let them do it. So people around them were angry with them. They weren't powerful uh, as it goes. And Zechariah says, look, God is going to do something where all this fasting and mourning is coming to end. Their feasts are coming. And partly as a result of that, it seems, and, and, and as another part of pro- the promise, as he's saying, and God is going to bring many people from surrounding nations, he's going to bring them to the city to come and worship God. You're not going to be just this remnant. You are going to grow. It's going to be a wonderful thing. You will get stronger. This will happen. And these are enemy nations 
if you like, being talked about. And they're, they're gonna, it's going to change. They're going to see what God's doing and maybe even going to see the feasting and the joy and the happiness and the gladness and they're going to talk to each other and say, that looks quite good. I want something of that actually. And they're going to even go to each other and say, I think, we should, I think we should go there. I think we should go to seek the Lord. I'm going, are you coming? And the Jews haven't even done anything. It's sort of out of their hands. God's just prophesied this. They're going to come. They're going to come, but not to wage war, not to pull down what you're building, not as uh, a sign of punishment from God, but a sign of blessing from God. They're going to talk amongst themselves and they're going to come. And the next prophecy, in some ways, is very similar, but they, they go, if you like, to the Jew this time, to the person of God. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In those days, ten people from all languages and nations will take firm hold of one Jew by the hem of his robe and say, let us go with you. Because we have heard that God is with you. It's a complete change. They're not against them anymore. The promise is coming that they're going to get hold of the Jew, ten of them, and say, please, we want to go with you. That must have been so startling to them. It was not what was going on around them. And this, the, this prophet stands and says, this is what is going to be happening. This is what's coming. Just to say, with a little bit of artistic license, both myself and Paul, past two weeks, have said that uh, Jerusalem was about the fifth of the size of how it was in its sort of glory days before it got destroyed. The numbers of people come back, about a fifth of the size. So they were small, they were struggling. So if you take that prophecy quite literally, in that sense, it would be a prophecy. If it's ten people grabbing and coming, it's Jerusalem being twice as big as it ever was. It's like it's gone beyond just what you were hoping to sort of maybe get back to, uh, but becoming twice as great and twice as uh, sort of powerful as a city. So I'm not sure it's quite in there. It's just uh, I was thinking the numbers. I thought it was an interesting picture of how it might have stirred uh, the, you know, the, the faith of the Jews that were listening. Now, there's lots of debate in the comments about whether this has ever been literally fulfilled or not, whether well, it hasn't really been literally fulfilled and whether it would be ever literally fulfilled. And you've got essentially Bible theologians and stuff on ends of the spectrum about what they're looking for in Old Testament prophecy. I would tend to, on this, say the, the sort of fulfilment of this type of prophecy and language is really, I'd stay with Jesus, if you like. It always seems a safe bet, doesn't it? That actually, this is really being fulfilled through Jesus. And even the picture of all nations taking hold of a Jew by the hem, I think you can see the story of Pentecost in that. And if you know the story then, when Jesus said, uh, you know, wait to his disciples, power's going to come on you. Uh, and when that happened in Jerusalem, there were many nations represented. And the birth of the church saw many, many people being born again in a day, 3,000 from all different nations, laying hold of Jesus' followers, the Jews at that time, saying, what must we do to be saved? And I think ever since then, as it were, since the church was birthed and the Holy Spirit uh, has come on the church to, to be a witness to the world and to empower us, because Jesus promises that it'll be the Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin, righteousness and judgment, that they'll talk to each other and go, I think we should go there. I think we should go to the people of God. Maybe we've got answers in church that we've not yet realised about. And it's on us to be bold and to proclaim what Jesus has done in our lives, to be witnesses to him, that people will say, I can see God is with you, and I want to come with you. But I think that's in this, these verses, we can really take them to heart and say, we would love to see this, wouldn't we? This is what we want to see. That because of the presence of God with us, because the way he is moving in the people around us, that they are turning to him. 
They're stopping being, ignoring him. They're giving their lives to him and wanting to find out more. And obviously we feel like, just like the Jews would have done in those days, we're not seeing this like tens of people, I don't think. I've not had ten people grabbing me and saying, I want to go to church with you or tell me about Jesus or what must I do to be saved. We want to stir our faith to think this is God's heart for us and for all his people. This is what God wants, blessing on us from people to come to know him uh, and for people to discover how wonderful Jesus is, the one that turns fasting into feasting and that wants to be revealed to those that don't yet know him. And maybe we're not there yet in that sense. It feels like literally right now we are not living in, uh, in these sort of days. Uh, but we want to believe for that. And for every one person that um, we see respond to Jesus, we praise God for, don't we? We celebrate and we're excited by and we're encouraged by. And uh, I, I just want to read... Uh, we, we've, I think I've even read this particular passage before, but of a revival in, the, in uh, England from 1739, the Wesley Whitfall revival. We want to stir ourselves. Everything we've seen so far, if you like, in your own personal life for God, and even our history as a church together, it doesn't mean, it's very challenging, I think, it doesn't mean it has to stay that way or grow incrementally more. These Jews that first asked, are we getting there with the exile? Is it coming to an end? Can we stop some of this fasting business and get a totally, it's all new, it's all been turned to feasting. You don't understand how the nations are going to flock to you, how ten are going to grab you and say, God's with you, I want to come to you. And so I want to encourage us to stretch our faith, to believe God for way more than we've yet seen. And here's a story, albeit now a few hundred years old, but hopefully we'll stir our faith again when things were bad, and just got changed enormously. It didn't change just in small steps. So this is from the Wesley Whitfield Revival in England in 1739. This is a, um, a description of some of what the UK was like in those days. The whole population seemed to be given over to an orgy of drunkenness, which made the very name of Englishmen to stink in the nostrils of other nations. Uh, drunk for a penny dead drunk for two pence and straw to lie on was a common sign outside the pubs of the time. The theatre was shockingly vulgar and depraved. Um, Wesley referred to the obscenity of the stage, that sink of all corruption. The literature of the period would even today be classed mostly as hard porn. Polygamy, fornification, homosexuality were not considered sinful. Violence was rampant. Gangs of drunken ruffians paraded the streets and subjected women to nameless outrages and defenseless men to abominable tortures. The constables shared the drunken habits of the time and were mainly corrupt. Sport was cruel and brutal, such as bear and bull baiting, cockfighting, pugilism was savage and murderous, murderous, and even women took part. And this is one brief description of what our nation was like a few hundred years ago. And in so many ways, our nation is not like that today, but I don't think many of us would say it's all great. We've been talking about living in a post-Christian society. We're not harking back to get back to how things used to be like Jews, but we want to see God move in our nation, don't we? We want to see God move in the people around us. Sometimes it is desperate for people, and there are you know, many terrible things that go on in our nation. It just said of um, Wesley at one point, just a very short bit, that the way God used him uh, quite frequently as he preached, men and women were made to cry out in agony as they came under the conviction by the Spirit of God. 
Sometimes their cries drowned him, and many uh, actually fell prostrate under God's power. And if you know some of the story, they saw amazing, uh, just this nation turned around, and historians even say some of what, uh, where we've got to as a nation now, still living in the good of what God did back in those days. And it can seem almost impossible to believe, what would that look like today? Such a move of God, such power being present. And yet I think we want to live in the, the sense of, can we see the day when 10 people, if you like, around you are grabbing you and saying, I see God's with you. Will you tell me more? Will you take me to him? And if we're not quite seeing the tens yet, let's look for the one around us. Who's the person around you that God's at work in now? Because God does love people. He is at work. Who's he working on it in his heart? And they're starting to think, actually, I want to find out more about Jesus. Or what I've got in my life at the moment is not uh, everything I thought it was going to be cracked up to be. We just saw that wonderful testimony of, um, uh, was it Denise, the lady? Um, 47 years, she said, before she's turned to Jesus. And, but now she's saying, I've met him. It's, it's all changed. Everything's different. So let's be full of faith. Okay, I'm going to quickly sort of recap, so I'm running out of time a bit. Um, some responses for us in this. We live in this tension, if you like, between the, the, with the cross and the, the cross and the resurrection are both true for us. Um, Jesus had to die to redeem us from our sin. Uh, not everything is put right yet in the light of that. And there's a real sense in which, therefore, we still mourn and we still fast. Okay, we should be mourning and fasting for the way that our own lives are not yet right before God and how the lives of our nation and society is not right before God. And I say, um, uh, we've, more people have spoken to me in the last month or so, made me feel a bit bad, actually convicted me, about what they've been praying and fasting for. And uh, if, like, I've never personally known a time when many people have been saying, I've been really stirred about this, I've been really stirred about that, I've been challenged about that, we want to see God move in this area. I've been praying and fasting. And I was like, oh, I've not been fasting. So, <laughs> and uh, it's sort of stirred me and challenged me. And I want to say to us uh, that we want to be a church that is praying and fasting at times. And very specifically, there's a sign-up sheet uh, over by the welcome desk uh, for us to have a sort of a two-week period of fasting and just to put a tick box and maybe a day when you can fast even if it's missing one meal and so that for two weeks we know that as a church together uh, we are fasting we're going to kick it off 24th of December I hope that's okay <laughs> no. so so now it's going to coincide early early Jan somebody's just done the dates there's a belated laugh there just um so when we've got these meetings as we kick off the Vision of the Church from Wednesday the 4th of January, I'd like to start it then. So have a look, uh, join tea and coffee. Uh, please tick, tick your name on something, make a note to yourself. So we're not, you know, it's anonymous in that sense, we don't have to see who's doing what, but just so that we can see that as a church we're covering that two-week period, let's be praying for our own lives and the lives of people around us. Let's be doing it as we're fasting together as well. Amen? Amen. We can feast as well, can't we? We can feast and enjoy God now. And I want to make this quite literal as well. I think there was a coinciding of uh, almost God saying, guys, there's feasts coming your ways. And then the people around them going, look what's going on over there. Look what that looks joyful. It's happy. It's glad. I want in on that. Because maybe there isn't so much going on in my life or in the life around me. 
And we are called to party and have fun and to enjoy life. This is a big part of uh, the heart of our Connect communities, to be communities together in the community around them, enjoying life, sharing life, eating food, having fun times, happiness, joy, gladness. Many people, of course, around us, our post-Christian society, don't think Church of Jesus is relevant to them at all. We want to look for those whose God is at work on, but most people think it's completely irrelevant where we feel Jesus is the answer that we desperately need. But when people see the joy, the fun, the gladness, and enjoy the food, it can bring down barriers, can't it? It can cause people to think differently. I mean, it wasn't so long ago, um, the Bermsey Connect community was hosting the light party, and just hundreds of kids came. They flocked because it was fun, it was joyful, it was well done. It doesn't it doesn't have to be huge things in that sense, but let's be those that are just in your connect communities, please be a part of them, and in other settings, of course, as well, sharing the fun and the joy, practically, that Jesus has put in us, enjoying what he's done. And finally, faith. Let's be full of faith of what God can use us for, can do through us. You know, that prophecy was like where 10 would come and say, take me to be, uh, with God. I see God is with you. We're called to be a people where God is with us. He is with us, isn't he? One of the commentators said, an intersection between heaven and earth. You ever thought, so that's what we're supposed to be? An intersection between heaven and earth. What does that look like? What does that mean in terms of healing breaking out, transformation breaking out, salvation breaking out? Let's be full of faith of what God will do for us as we follow his spirit, as we look to be obedient to Jesus, as we're full of boldness and being witnesses of what Jesus has done in our lives. We can, as a church, in this next year, uh, see and grow into the three local sites that we want to see established because we want to see Jesus' name made great in all those areas and beyond. We can grow from that and see what happen. We can see people coming to do Alpha courses or whatever it is we're running, asking questions, saying, I want to know more about Jesus. This is what we can see happen, isn't it? This is what we have seen happen, and we want to see more and more of that. Let's believe God. Let's be full of faith. I'd love to think that there's a sense which is almost behind the scenes where this serious morning fasting on occasions church, weeping for people, not everything's good, not everything's right. You know, Denise's story was great, but clearly you picked that from the start of it. It hadn't been very good for her at all for 47 years. It's that things are a mess for many people. And we're praying and we're interceding and we're fasting and saying, God, we want to see that changed. But we're also in the now, full of feasting and fun and joy because Jesus has won the victory. We are not despairing. And we want to see that break out to the people around us, full of faith, to see them discover that too. Amen? Amen. Guys, I've overrun slightly. Let me uh, uh, finish there. And then we do have a few announcements as well, Ken. So please, I'd just like to pray for us. So, Jesus, I want to thank you that you're uh, the fulfillment of all God's prophecies. All your promises are yes and amen in Christ. And Jesus, we want to thank you for your death on the cross Lord Jesus, and for your resurrection to new life, Lord, and that we live in the good of both that, Lord Jesus, that we are those uh, that know life because of your resurrection, but we know life because of your death as well, Lord Jesus. Lord, and we pray, help us live in the light of both those things, Lord Jesus, knowing the seriousness of the situation around us, knowing your 
um, desire to do something about sin and the damage it does to people's lives, Lord, where you set your face like flint and you died for us, Lord, but being full of faith, Lord God, that there's resurrection power available to us, Lord, that you're the first fruits, you've done it, you declared it's finished, Lord, uh, and you've sent your spirit to help us, Lord. It's an amazing thing. We pray, Lord, fill this church, Lord God, so that we can serve you, so that we can see the communities around us completely changed, completely transformed, Lord Jesus, with many, many people coming to know you as their Lord and Saviour. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen.